My brothers and sisters, the Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. At that time, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. He fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was hungry. The tempter approached and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become loaves of bread. He said in reply, It is written, One does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and made him stand on the parapet of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and with their hands they will support you, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Then the devil took him up to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their magnificence. And he said to him, All these I shall give to you, if you will prostrate yourself and worship me. At this, Jesus said to him, Get away, Satan. It is written, The Lord your God shall you worship, and him alone shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Satan has been making headlines in a pretty particular and specific way in recent weeks. Not too long ago, a childhood friend from Virginia shared this story about his local school district. The headline read, After School Satan Club to Hold First Meeting at Primary School. Some months ago, the local satanic temple had wanted to form this new group to meet in their grammar school, primarily because there was already an after-school group called the Good News Club, which is a Christian club that's been meeting there for some time. When this first came to public attention, the amount of backlash and concern raised by the parents prompted the school to require that the Satanists would have to pay additional security fees, which the ACLU jumped on as a violation of the First Amendment by treating one group differently than the other. So the school district withdrew that requirement, which cleared the way for them to proceed, which they now have. This came about a week after the performer Sam Smith was at the Grammy Awards and did what he described as a satanic performance to the song titled Unholy. Both stories, one on a local level and the other on an international level, generated a a great deal of attention and debate. And while it's disturbing to see people doing such things, to be honest, 
I found myself kind of unemotional about it, which kind of surprised me. In case you didn't know, I can get fired up about things. And this would be one thing that seemed to check off all the boxes of stories that would do that for me. So when one of my priest friends had asked what was the matter with me, had I mellowed out or given up or what, I said, it's not that. It's just that they're both so stupid. These people are just being stupid. The pictures of the Grammy performance, the logo of the after-school Satan Club, which looked like Yosemite Sam from the Bugs Bunny cartoon dressed up as the devil, you know, wearing the little red outfit with the horns and the pitchfork. It's such a, a juvenile caricature where those advocating it seem more hell-bent, pun intended, on looking for attention than they are in actually embracing evil. Don't get me wrong, they're being really stupid and really sinful in what they're doing because they're mocking God. They're mocking Christianity and Christian beliefs. They're cooperating with evil in a way that I'm not sure whether they understand or care, but they're doing it anyway. Just reading some of the organizers of the Satanic Club saying things like, it's not about Satan, but having an inclusive alternative for non-Christian children tells me how incredibly misguided they are in using children for some woke nonsense in which they're cooperating with some really, really messed up stuff. And then Sam Smith, he was openly saying in interviews that his performance was just about getting Christians upset. Really stupid and pathetic. And as much as they say they're not doing these things to promote Satan, and some say they don't even believe in him, they don't realize the, the spiritual danger they're in and what they could be doing to others. So in all sincerity, we do need to pray for them. But to me, these things, these events, they're distractions. They're distractions from the reality that Satan, the devil, is real. And while he might revel in this division and debates and the fights that ensue with these types of attention grabbing things, what's of more value to him is when we buy into that narrative, that he's a caricature like that, that he's going to be that obvious, that ridiculous in revealing himself, like a stupid two-horned pitchfork cartoon character, and that our getting emotional about those things is all we need to do in this spiritual warfare against evil that every human being finds themselves in. The devil would love for us to think it's that blatant and that simple. Our scriptures today are some of the richest examples of the true nature of the struggle of good versus evil. And they reveal the truth about this battle. In the first reading from Genesis, we get the abbreviated version of creation and the fall of mankind. Things start beautifully simple. The Lord God formed man, blows his breath of life into him, provides everything necessary for fulfillment in the garden. Adam and Eve had one job, refrain from eating from the one tree. And we know the rest of the story. It's interesting how whenever these opening chapters of Genesis come up, 
though, how, how quickly people can be distracted with some sort of questions like, well, why did God put the tree there in the first place? Or is the fruit a metaphor for something else? Or why are we affected by what they did? Others find themselves on Team Adam or Team Eve trying to determine who is really at fault. And there's some theological and philosophical value to those things, so I'm not dismissing them outright. But we can miss how quickly doing those things, we allow our our focus to be diverted. Because at the root of the Genesis story is reflecting on what the fall is all about and what continues to be the root of all sinfulness, which is the lack of trust in God and in his goodness. Just unpack that dialogue. Look at the question the serpent asks Eve. Did God really tell you not to eat from any of the trees in the garden? Notice he doesn't propose doubt in God's existence. And that there's already a lie in the manipulation. We know God hadn't said any tree. He was very specific. It was just the one particular tree. The tree of knowledge of good and evil. So point number one, newsflash, the devil's a liar. And as Eve corrects him about what God had said and what God had told them, saying, you shall not eat from that one tree or touch it lest you die. The serpent lies again. You certainly won't die. He invites Eve to doubt God and his goodness, helping her to forget at that moment all that God had done And instead think that she's missing something, that God's holding her back. And if she just grabbed hold of her freedom, just grabbed hold of that fruit, she could be a God herself. Eve's fall was listening and entertaining the devil. Adam's fall was not doing what God had charged him to do. Not being there in the first place to to keep the serpent out of the garden, to be the protector for his wife. And then allowing those lies and those manipulations that had afflicted his wife for him to now consider them. Maybe he said, she didn't die. Maybe the serpent is right. Maybe God is holding us back. And that's why Adam is even more at fault. And as the serpent slithers away, they don't realize that physically they're still alive. But spiritually there has been death. There's that death of that first covenant between God and man. There's a death of that that intimacy and providence and fulfillment that God had provided for man. And brokenness has now entered the world, which will bring physical death as well. What we find, though, in recalling this whole fall in the Garden of Eden is our understanding of all temptation that it always is going to consist of three things, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and pride. Eve sees the tree as good for food. That's that physical lust. And that the, the fruit was pleasing, the lust of the eyes. And if they ate it, they would be God's pride. The irony was and, and is That God does want humanity to be like him. He created us. He fashioned us in his image. He breathed his breath of life into us. So that's how twisted and manipulative that the devil is. 
He's the first one to gaslight, and he's perfect at it. God desires that we are like him, but the devil twists that and makes us believe that's not the case. And then the devil twists twists another step, proposing the opposite to us, that it's in not listening to God that we can become like him. The serpent still slithers and lies and manipulates, no matter the age or state of life that we find ourselves in. The devil is so uncreative, it's the same modus operandi throughout all of human history. And he's so arrogant, he attempts the same things even on Jesus in today's gospel. After Jesus enters into this intense period of prayer and communion with his father, through fasting and and giving and prayer, the devil comes at him with the same old playbook. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride. First with the lust of the flesh, you're hungry. You deserve to take care of yourself. Turn these stones into bread. Then pride, throw yourself down from the temple and just imagine the sensation you would be. Everyone believe in you then. You'd be popular, you'd be famous. And then finally, the lust of the eyes. Just one small act of worship and all the kingdoms, all the riches are yours. It's crazy when we we see the pattern, it's somewhat obvious, it's so familiar. Again, the devil's not creative, it's the only routine he knows. But then again, it's a tried and true method that sadly does still work. Because again, we know that no matter what our age or our state of life, there are temptations to give in to our earthly wants. There are desires to think we don't have enough and we need more. There's a pride that we know better than God. Or even worse, we'll tell ourselves God will just have to understand. We look around our world, we look around our communities, our workplaces, our families, we look within, and we can feel the weight of that sin, that evil, that makes us feel lost in the wilderness or in the desert. And that's why Jesus' time in the desert is so important. We can find him there, or rather, here, in this time of Lent in our spiritual desert. He shows us what to do. And that's why we we model this time of 40 days after his time of 40 days. And he tells us how we can defeat evil. Fasting, prayer, and almsgiving. Sometimes we can think that that's too old-fashioned or there's got to be something more effective. It kind of reminds me of a story a few months ago a priest that I've gotten to know and talk to a bunch of times over the last decade. He joined our students for one of our weekly dinner and discussion nights. He's a, an exorcist for the Archdiocese of Indianapolis in Indiana, and he was sharing some of his experiences as an, as an exorcist. And after he highlighted that demonic possession is a real thing, and some of the stories that you've actually seen in movies are pretty accurate to some of his own experiences. He also said they're really, really rare. About 95, 98% of the time when he gets people who are coming to him, they're not really dealing with a demonic possession. 
but people are, are upset with a lot of evil things that they're experiencing in their lives and in their families. And they want the, the change. They want something to stop. So they'll look for him. They'll search him out thinking he's got a magic formula or some secret blessing that's going to make everything better. And he said, if I told them, go get four dead cats, find an open field at midnight, and swirl them by their tails around your head a dozen times, they would follow up, do you know where I can purchase these dead cats? But when he tells them, fast, pray, give alms, go to confession, make sure you're at Mass every Sunday, that those are essential things to dealing with all these things, that they kind of shrug their shoulders in disappointment. Yet thousands of years, uh, sinners who have become saints testify to the power of these things as a way to defeat the devil in the place that is of the most concern to each of us. Not somewhere out there in some TV show or protesting a group of really misdirected individuals from their Satan club, but in their hearts. Our Jewish ancestors had followed these exact spiritual practices. And Jesus embraced them and clarified their true purpose. When we enter into fasting, we're doing so as a way to reject the lust of the flesh. And we're looking for that, that personal conversion of our hearts. When we're doing almsgiving, when we give to others, we reject the lust of the eyes in a real effective way. Our conversion helps make the world a bit more loving by helping those in the most need. And then when we enter into prayer, we reject our pride. We humble ourselves before God. We renew our trust in him. We open the eyes and ears of our hearts to recognize his history of love and mercy in our own lives, where God has entered into our messes and reminds us of our true identity as beloved sons and daughters. As much as we can relate to Adam and Eve and how easily and quickly we can fall for some of those same lusts of the flesh, eyes, and pride, that we can feel the effects of the death that came through those choices in ourselves when we do the same. What makes this season of Lent such a, a privileged, sacred time is we know the rest of the story, the rest of the story that God never gave up on us. He takes on the sin. He offers salvation to all those who will listen and follow Jesus. Lent invites us to renew our decision to make that our story once again.